0: everybody wants to work
1: G'day everyone and welcome to episode seven of The Life of Brian Mannix, that is the podcast. G'day Brian Mannix. G'day Kevin Hillier. How are you today? I'm bloody well, you good self.
2: Oh, I'm short but coping and <laughs> sick to death of my local five kilometres. Um, I'm doing about 12K a day and I'm only allowed to go 5K, so I've
1: seen everything a lot. Is that the classic case of you're going to be disappearing in ever-decreasing circles up your own back passage? Well... <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that by back passage of your house. Well, <laughs> yeah, like I've been going up the dirt track and um, <laughs> around the
2: suburbs
1: and that. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness, I'm going insane, Kev. This, is, this has gone on for way too long. <laughs> and I'm getting I'm looking more like Grizzly Adams, a cross between Grizzly Adams and, and a bad Santa, like the Billy Bob Thornton Santa as each day goes on. Oh, good. We Thank have a God, show. something's going right. Yes, yeah, so we have. A, forget all the, all the, you know, the doom and gloom of what's going on in the world. We have a great show. We have a terrific uh, line-up of guests. We're going to introduce a new segment too, Brian. Do you remember um, the the very first time, kind of, the X Men uh, got into a studio together and kind of put together your your first little kind of tape of what you wanted to do?
2: Yes, I do. Um, we went and recorded um, our punk rock version of the Sullivan's, oh. and we recorded um, as a flip side. We recorded a song that Ronnie Gonzo wrote and sang called Bloody Dickheads, and it was so exciting. It was fantastic. And <laughs> well, I still I reckon Bloody start. Dickheads, they're both really good songs, especially <laughs> okay. Bloody Dickheads. It's just so obnoxious. You know, you couldn't write that at, you know, at 40. You have to write a song like that when you're about 18, 19. Fantastic. Do you still have that? Well, I try to. I try to keep young and still be obnoxious. Because no, you
1: still have the song? You, oh, do you... yeah, we've got it somewhere. Um okay, yeah, I somewhere trying... it, it is I'm there. Sure. I'll try and find it. Yeah, we'll try and flesh it out for one of the uh, the future episodes of uh, of Life is Brian. So what we're doing is we're going to go and give uh, bands a chance to uh, to get a bit of uh, airplay on uh, on this podcast. It is the number one music podcast in the country, or at least it was a couple of weeks back. Um, so uh, yeah. yeah, so what we're going to invite you to do is send us uh, your demo. Just go to the uh, the Life of Brian Mannix that is uh, Facebook page and uh, and shoot us the link to your to your demo or to your to your video, whatever it is, and uh, we'll uh, we'll go through them and uh, we'll pick one out each week. We've picked one out from uh you'll you'll understand why we picked this uh, this particular one and how it sort of fits into things a little later on in the in the podcast but uh yeah so that's uh, that's the invitation for you if you're a band or an artist a singer songwriter whatever um as long we'll as you showcase cover, the talent yeah as long as you haven't done a cover of bloody dickheads um, we're quite happy <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get on do a cover of bloody dickheads straight <laughs> to the top of the queue fantastic yeah. or a punk version of the sullivans for god's sake um, yeah that's good too And Actually, is a bit of a punk theme in uh, in what we've got coming up a little later on, but we'll get to that later. Also, a good mate of yours is going to join us in another new segment. We're introducing the women you look up to, and what a what a woman we've got uh, lined up for today.
2: We have. She's a wonderful girl, and she's my. I'm very proud to say she's my friend. Um, the women I look up to, though, Kev, that's nearly every
1: woman because they're all
2: taller than me. Yeah, so no, um,
1: we, we wanted a big field to work from. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. So that's coming yeah. up. But our, our main guest, of course, is, uh, is is we'll get to him in a tick. But I just wanted to remind everyone about uh, the terrific support we're getting from uh, Mercot's Driving Excellence. They're great people. They're open for business, obviously in a in a different sort of scenario in Victoria, uh, but uh, all around the rest of Australia, they are open for business. You're probably not as good a driver as you think you are. Uh, there's probably bad habits crept into your driving. Uh, if you drive for a living, now might be the time to go. Hang on, I might I do need a refresher course. I do need to, to get a little better at this. You might have had a you know a bit of a a, a brush with an accident of recent times and thought jeez, uh, I need to, uh, need to do something about that. Give Murcotts a call, one three hundred triple five five seven six, 576 or jump on the website and see what they've got to offer, murcotts.edu.au and we thank them for their support. And we also thank you for listening to this podcast and uh, uh, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Oh, God knows you wouldn't want to miss an episode, Brian. No, don't. Don't <laughs> miss an episode. You, yeah.
2: The one you miss, it'll be the important one
1: that oh, puts it all together. And you can go back on the uh, the Facebook page and have a listen to the earlier episodes. Wilbur Wild in episode one. Peter Hitchener, uh, Alice Cooper, of course, was our guest on The Last Step. But today, uh, 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 what are are the great Australian uh, sort of, I guess, entertainment characters? Well, he's a great front man. He's a fantastic actor,
3: Yeah,
2: Um, had his own Tonight Show, and he's a really funny and good bloke.
1: So he's got it all happening. Yeah, it is. And, of course, we're talking about Frankie J Holden.
4: Yay! I reckon the first time I really became aware of Brian would have been at, at the Roxy Hotel. And I had just moved to Melbourne. So I didn't move to Melbourne until 1981. Uh, I started doing these gigs at the Roxy with Coxie at the Roxy. And we had a great band there. Yeah. And Mano uh, replaced me. I stopped doing it for a while. I went off and did something else. I can't remember. You were acting, I like. think. I think I was yeah. acting. Yeah. And then Mano came and replaced me and I did go and see uh, I did see, go and see the great Man in action, as you'll remember, Mano, they were wild nights. they were incredibly wild nights. Um, yeah, they were good. Keith McKay, was he was a good party boy. yeah, that's yeah, right. So there was the McKay sound It came out of the McKay sound, which that was, was called that when Paul McKay yeah. was the uh, or Paul Meany was the lead singer
3: right
4: and, and then the band was well, when I was there, it was uh, Keith McKay. Coxie on drums, David Briggs and Tony Naylor on guitars, ah. absolute guitar legends. When Coxie left for a while, Freddie Strauss came and played the drums. Yeah, uh, We had John Grant on keyboards, and oh, yeah. uh, Pete Waddell played guitar as well on some nights, and yeah. on bass guitar was Tony tony Little. Tony Little, wasn't it? Well, little little Donny Donny Bales was his name. Oh, little Donny Bales. And so it was a Monday night thing, and we were called Vinny and the Vibrators, and I was uh, I styled myself as Vinny Cappuccino, and because I was hot and steaming and white, uh, but, but two out of three ain't bad.
3: So
4: I'm both, how we used to start the gigs? It was just a rock and band. We played '60s music, 1960s classics. And some obscure 60s stuff as well. And all the guys had stage names. There was B-flat Baxter and Thunderclap (laughs) Marino, Mongo Zoot. We'd start the gig. We would walk out on the stage and we would launch straight into Viva Las Vegas at about a million miles an hour. And then we'd finish that Viva Las Vegas. And the first words I would speak were (laughs) I would look at just some guy in the crowd and go, well, Well, you can get fucked for a start.
3: <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> <and> then,
4: <laughs> you went off to do some TV show, I think. Um, and that was when you would have joined. And Wilbur, Wilbur was there, of course. Yeah. So we have had years of um, so – that would have been the first time I, I became aware of you, man. I mean, I knew mm. of, of the Uncanny X-Men and, and, and Brian Madge, yeah. of course. But as I said, I wasn't living in Melbourne through no. your, your heyday. I thought to myself, I was pretty smug when I left. I thought, <laughs> he's going to find it hard to replace me. <laughs> and, uh, and then how many years did you do it, Mano? He must have oh, I did it for about two and a half, I reckon. He did a great job. Do you remember when you were doing Proof, Frank? The movie Proof? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because you were, you're doing the movie Proof, and I got a phone call from Russell, Russell Crowe and um, uh, what's his name? Hugo Weaving. Yeah. And we were going down. Frankly, Russell was going to get up and have a sing with you. Right. And anyway, we got some, I got some really good grass, and they (laughs) got really, really stoned. And I was saying, Look, don't have any more, that's enough. And they go, No, no, we'll be right. And then we got there, and we're sitting behind the lighting desk watching you, you were magnificent. And then Hugo Weaving suddenly just went face first down into the console, got this whopping great black eye, and on Monday they were supposed to start filming the bits where he took his sunglasses off. It was all a very
0: (laughs) mad panic. Do you remember that?
4: I do remember those guys coming. Well, uh, lots of people used to drop in there. The Monday nights at the Roxy were were famous or infamous, and all sorts of people used to drop in. I I mean, Shirley Storm used to come down. Uh Russell Morris used to come down. Uh and sometimes international acts I was told used to come down. So that incident <laughs> that you're describing with <laughs> <to> Hugo. <laughs> yes. Uh that was that was pretty typical.
5: So you started out as a chartered accountant.
4: Oh, yeah, well that's going back a long time. Uh, so I came out of uni, uh, I went to I went to Macquarie Uni in Sydney and uh went straight from there into uh Price Waterhouse and company and uh stayed there or two and a half, three years, just long enough to get my chartered accounting qualifications. And then, old 55 reared its ugly head. Would you like me to tell you yeah. that story? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I was uh, a keen surfer, and back I was living in Sydney, and uh used to surf up and down the north coast of New South Wales. And like all good surfers, you know, I had a combi and a guitar. And we had this little band called Peppercorn, where we wore matching shirts,
3: uh-huh.
4: and we and we used to do you know your Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and uh, Neil Diamond and stuff like that. It was rough harmonies, and and we went in a talent quest at the Ride Eastwood League Club, which is uh, near where we, we we're all based around uh, Eastwood, Carlingford, out that sort of western suburbs of Sydney, and uh, we won the talent quest, and the talent prize was four Friday nights paid paid gigs at a pub near Sydney Uni. When I say paid, it might have been 50 bucks split between the five of us sort of thing. So we went to do these gigs and the boys, a couple of the boys were putting old 55 together. Jim Manzi, who you know Mano, uh, was going to university. Turned up at this pub and saw me one night and they had this, they were sort of putting themselves together into a band. There was four blokes calling themselves Fattus and they came from uh, Cronulla Way. But, But they had Met Glenn A. Baker, who was, who became their manager, and he put to them this idea of doing an old 55 concept band. That is something based around Shana Na and, uh, and doing uh, 50s, early 60s music with all the harmonies and everything. But they needed a lead singer or a lead uh, front man. So Jim saw me at this pub and brought a couple of boys back the next week, and they came and introduced themselves to me and virtually offered me the job on the spot. A week later, we went into a recording studio and recorded Diana, which was our first single, and was re- released because Glenn had already he'd already done a deal with Mushroom, and so we had a, a recording deal really before we'd done a gig, wow. and then we which was uh, which was a great way to start. Well, we were overnight sensations without without pouring treacle on ourselves. <laughs> I think like our third or fourth gig, we supported ELO. Wow. Of the stra- at the, yeah, at the Horton Pavilion. And we, well, we blew them away. And the reviews in the paper were like, who are these guys? Because we were, we were raw musically, not, not as, not, not what you'd call polished yet, but we had a tremendous amount of energy. And we did have, you know, we already had some good harmony, um, harmonies going on. We could do those popping harmonies from the 50s and 60s. And we had myself and Wilbur as front men. And we just we were almost a punk band, but we had these harmonies, uh, really lovely harmonies, and playing some of those great '50s songs like you know, like Diana, and Get a Job, and and we and we'd had some of our own material. So that was our third gig. Actually, we did that without Wilbur, and then our fifth gig was live to air on Double J, as it was then. It's Triple J now, Uh but they had just started up. We they were doing these live to air gigs and. We, we got one of them, and again, we got tremendous response, and that was the first gig that Wilbur did with us. Wow. So that was where he came up with the name Wilbur Wild. So what happened was we were doing some gigs, and we were doing a gig at the Ride Youth Club, and we, need, we needed a saxophone player, so we put an ad over on Double J saying, you know, working band with a recording contract looking for a saxophone player, turn up to the Ride Youth Club tonight. And Wilbur was the only one who turned up. You have to imagine him when he was nineteen, but full of the confidence and bravado that he's got even to this day. But he was skinny as a rake. He was, you know, he was obviously he was six foot five, and he had long hair and braces on both sets of teeth. So he he was quite a horrendous sight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, but he could play the saxophone. He he'd had a bit of experience. He toured already. He was only nineteen, as I said, but he'd already toured with Roy Orbison, and he'd uh, been working on the Gold Coast. And so he was a, a more, lot more experienced muser really than than we were. We never offered him the gig because he was so scary and like a, a you know a pinball, you know, just the way he is, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, know, yeah, absolutely. Know, he, his brain works at a million miles an hour, and uh, he's off on this tangent and off on another tangent. So he, we were all going, you know, we can play the saxophone, but woo, you know, do we want to spend five or six years of our lives with this guy? But as I said, no one else turned up and he just kept turning up to do the gigs. And so he sort of joined the band by osmosis, if you like. And then very soon after that, we did this gig at Double J and we had decided that we would adopt stage names and stage personas. And my first thought for my, so we had Rock Pile. Um, yeah. Jim Mansey, we kept him as Jim Mansey because uh, he was the teen idol. Uh, the drummer, whose name was Jeff Plummer, he was known as Drain Pipe Plummer. <laughs> and we had, uh, I think I mentioned Rockpile Jones, we had Patrick Meatballs McPatrick uh, <laughs> on the guitar. And then I was, uh, well, Frankie J Holder I, I, came, I came up with that. My first thought was Victor Lawnmower.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I didn't go with that but I wanted yeah, something iconic. And then, and then the F.J. Holden popped into my head and then Frankie J. Holden. We do the gig at, uh, at Double J live on air and then the, the DJ, I think it might have been Holger Brockman, he, he came back to sort of back announce the show and then and said, so, thanks guys, and, and what, what are your names? So we went through all of these funny names, including Frankie J. Holden, and then they turned to Wilbur and said, you know, what's your name? And he, he's, he came on the spot he was thinking. I don't know why, but he was thinking of Oscar Wilde, and so he went, "Oh, Wilde, Wilbur Wilde," <laughs> and, and and that was it. And, and it's and it just stuck, uh, you know, all these forty odd years later. So that's the story of how we got started. And then, as I said, we had done it. We started getting rave reviews in the papers, and then we got on on the countdown. Uh, and in the meantime, we'd done got we were gone into the recording studio and recorded. Uh, the second single was on the prowl oh uh, no yes that's right second single was on the prowl and that was a big hit yeah and then the next single was cut, another big hit and then we 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 put out take it greasy uh, which was the album from those those songs came from and that was you know that sold immediately it we, we got 150,000 copies yeah. in, sort of in the first year because we were on countdown yeah so that was right at that time when countdown started and um, it was the year that countdown countdown had been going for maybe a year or two, but that was the year 1975 when it went to colour. Ah, yes. so we, along with other bands like Skyhooks and Sherbet, were perfectly suited to that because we all wore outrageous, uh, you know, colourful costumes, and in 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 particular, we were larrikins, and uh, that fitted with the with the genre as well. And so, yeah, we and then we, we did a tour. We started touring a bit, and then we, we toured with the the hooks went off to the states. I remember that, Ooh. and then we came back and did a national tour with them called the Brats of Back.
3: Yeah, they came I back
4: to the states, and we did a big tour with them, and we we were blown away because we'd go to all of these country towns, and the kids would know the songs and know who we were, and and it was all because of Countdown. And now here's the surprising thing. As I said, we were overnight, almost literally, and then two years later, just over two years later, me and Willie left. So that whole old 55 thing at the peak lasted only two years. Wow. And here we are all these years later. still talking so, about it. Yeah. The boys, Willie and I left, they went very poppy and almost beach boysy. Mm. And that was a direction that Willie and I didn't agree with. That was the reason, one of the reasons. You know, oh, you know, there are all oh, sorts of reasons why there you are. all sorts of reasons. After <laughs> a couple of years, you go like, do this anymore? I just <laughs> cannot stand listening to that guy chew anymore. <laughs> That's
3: right.
4: <laughs> you know, he's the loudest chewer in the world. Yeah, exactly. Willie and I were more on the prowl, if you you know, yep. to the sound of that song. Whereas yeah. they were more looking for an echo, but Willie and I kept working together on and off. Uh, as I say, we, we were working at the Roxy, and then we, you know, put various little tours together. We might go over to Western Australia and do a tour. Uh, in the meantime, we were, of course, at the same time doing other all sorts of other things as well. Oh, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. <laughs> it
3: was
4: was on the the original song or was it an old cover? No, no, no. That was written by, by Jim. Jim had the idea for the song, and he got the idea from a story that Wilbur used to tell about how him and his mates in the Ford Custom Line would go around and um, chuck car fridges through phone boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Willie used to either tell us about these characters that he knew or invent these characters. <laughs>
3: yeah. And
4: Jim wrote the song around that. I did. I wrote oh, most of the third verse, I remember. Um, but I love that song, and um, when you listen to it now, even all these years later, it's a beautifully produced single as well. Even now, if you listen to it on a compilation um, CD or something, Hits of the 70s, it does jump out at you. And it was beautifully produced by Charles Fisher uh, at Trafalgar Studios in Melbourne. So, and it summed up the band. You know, It summed up the band beautifully. Uh, and it gave us a lot of impetus and uh, I, you know, gave us identity. All these years
3: later, again, you know, I'll be walking down the street and guys, Frankie
4: J on the prowl. Hi, Alice Cooper here, and you are listening to The Life of Brian. I survived it,
6: and I am sure you will too. Possibly. Probably not, though.
4: Our next guest today, Ted, is somebody. She's been the killer queen. She's been queen of the jungle. She's queen of hearts. She's a woman I admire. She's a great Australian and I was lucky enough to work with her for about 10 months in 2016. I speak of the incredible, talented, wonderfully beautiful Casey Donovan.
5: Hi, Bryce.
0: Hey, Casey. <laughs> How you going, lovey?
5: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm very well. Now, things in Sydney, there wasn't enough COVID-19
4: up there for you, so you decided to move down to Melbourne to get right amongst it.
5: I did. I, you know, I just, I didn't want to miss out on another lockdown. <laughs>
4: uh, you're reprising your role as the Killer Queen in over in Perth soon, I believe.
5: I am. I am. I mean, I didn't really expect to be going back into musical theatre so soon, but with the turn of events that is COVID, um, I got asked if I wanted to reprise the Killer Queen. So I thought, why bloody not? And also get over to the, the West Coast.
4: Yeah, fantastic. Who's playing Buddy?
5: Um, look, I'm not actually entirely sure <laughs> as of yet, but um, it is basically a whole um, Perth or WA car.
4: Right. Well, that'll be exciting because, you know, so I had such a good time doing it with you for um, all of that time. We had a really good fun hanging out and doing it, and I wish I could reprise my role and do it one more time. Anyway, I
5: know. I wish you could too, Brian
4: Oh, well, not to worry. Um, so what's going on for the
3: future?
5: Look, I mean, as of the moment, I've pretty much lost all of my work. You know, as the rest of Australia starts opening up and doing gigs and whatnot, um, you know, i us. Us down here in Victoria, are, you know, not really sure when we can open our doors back up. It's playing it by ear at the moment, Bryce.
4: Yeah, I think we all are. Um, one of the shows I saw you in, in 2011, and I thought it was just great, it was The Flower Children, The Mamas and the Puppets Story, and look, I knew you could sing, but I didn't realise what a great actress you were, and you played Mama Cass, and... And I saw that show and I didn't really know much about the Mummers and the Puppers, but I just, it converted me. I became the biggest Mummers and the Puppers fan because it was such a great show and it, they just, everybody looked like who they were supposed to look like. And the bit when they were on acid, on the Ed Sullivan show was just hilarious and exactly <laughs> like the real thing. It was just one of the best theatre shows I've ever seen and you were fantastic in it. Um, is, there oh, any chance of that? Right. is there any chance of that one
5: coming back? Look, I'd love for that to come back. Um, I don't think there's anything on, on the horizon for that show, but you never know, never say never, but it was such a great show. It was so fun to play Mama Cass and, you know, really kind of delve into the history that was the Mamas and the Papas. It was very interesting and to, you know, see and hear and watch what Cass went through um, was, you know, massive. But uh, bless her big, beautiful heart. Yeah, it was, it was a great show.
4: Yeah, I had no
1: idea how much drugs they took. They were just right into it. But so awesome.
5: much. So many drugs in all forms.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, hey Brian, Brian, did seeing that show prompt you to write that song that, uh, that you did with Casey?
5: Well, I did because um, I just
4: I became a really big um, fan of the Mamas and the Papas, and I went and got a Best Of CD and just played the hell out of that. And then I wrote that song which, um, which I was playing while we were doing We Were Rock You. And I said to Casey, what would Mama Cat do in this song? So to me, this is a Mamas and Papas song. And Casey just started singing and
5: made it fantastic. So we recorded it and it came out really good. <laughs> Thought we had some good times, right? The fancy dress parties and the things like
4: that. You went as, um, who'd you go with from The Little Mermaid?
5: I went as Ursula the Sea Witch.
4: <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah we, we had a great time of that. But it all started in 2004. You win the um,
5: Australia's Australian Idol second series. Yes, I did. Sixteen years of age. Sixteen? Can you believe it?
4: Wow! Fantastic effort.
5: It has been. It's definitely been a roller coaster of a life I've had since sixteen. But um, you know, I'm all the better for it with all the warts and all. So um, yeah, it's made me the person I am today and the performer and, you know, being able to step into musical theatre and jump up on stage and. Be myself, which is, I think, one of the hardest things one can do in this world because I feel like we're always putting on different hats and masks and, um, you know, getting lost a little bit. So,
3: yeah,
5: yeah it's refreshing to still be in the industry. <laughs>
0: yeah.
5: So what was the hardest part
4: about being on Celebrity Get Me Out of Here? Uh,
5: everything. <laughs>
3: uh-huh.
5: <laughs> Look, I loved it. I loved not having um, my phone, not, you know, kind of being a little bit disconnected from the world. Um, that was really nice and refreshing, but, um, you know, sleeping on a, one of those camp beds, they were horrible, nowhere to sit that was comfortable. Like everything was like a bony stick, or oh, that sounds really bad, but, um, <laughs> just nowhere to sit, nowhere comfortable, but, um, you know, eating all the disgusting things and, you know, being petrified most of the time as to what I'm going to be thrown off, flung off, or flung into. Um, huh. So it was <laughs> – but every day was a new experience. But um, it was so much fun, and I'm so happy that I got to um, win the Starlight Foundation $100,000. So that was a beautiful thing.
4: Yeah, it's a great thing. Really great.
5: Yeah, you're, yeah. Pretty, you're
4: pretty good at winning, aren't you? You, you won uh, an <laughs> idol. You win this. Are you still painting and drawing?
5: I am, I am. I've come a long way with my paintings.
4: Yeah, because the, the tattoo you've got of the microphone on your arm, you designed that one yourself, didn't you? I
5: did. It's the really? old Super 55. I love a bit of art here and there.
4: How's the guys from status quo going these days, love?
5: I'm not sure. lost touch, <laughs> but, um, you know, down, down, prices of the doubt.
1: <laughs> oh, it's a great campaign <laughs> Hey, uh, Casey, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on The Life of Brian We really appreciate your time And uh, take care and uh, good luck in Perth With the uh, the reboot of the show
5: Thanks so much Yeah, see you, Casey I'll catch up with you As soon
4: as this COVID-19
5: things out We'll go
1: and have a beer Yeah, let's have a frothy yeah, right. Ah, a few frothies with Casey There's something to look forward to You've got to have something to look forward to At the moment, Brian And that's one of the most important things What a, what a lovely and delightful human being she is
2: she is fantastic. She's just such a great um, golden soul, I would say. Yeah. Just, you're just drawn to her because she's got this niceness about her and she's yeah. just, yeah, well, she's a great person. I love her.
1: Okay, and so tell us about the song.
2: Well, the song, I went and saw her, her in that play, um, The Flower Children, one about Mamas and the Papas, and I started writing this song. I thought, wow, this sounds like a Mamas and a Papas song. So then I sort of said to her while we were working together, I said, oh, you know, what would Mama Cass do with this? And she just started singing. I said, oh, that sounds good. So um, I went into uh, Hot House Studios in uh, St Kilda and right. uh, got Casey and a couple of the other guys from We Will Rock You Down and um, got her to do some backing vocals for me. Well, she doesn't really affect featured spot on it, but, um, yeah, it's it's my sort of Mummers and the Papa song, and I was lucky enough to have Casey Donovan do uh, the mummy Cass bit for me.
1: It's called I See It Coming. Has it, uh, has it ever been played anywhere else before? No, no, Ooh. it's
2: never been played anywhere before. I, sh- I haven't even mastered it yet, um, but, um, yeah, it's There's a song of things about...
1: things in your life you haven't mastered, Brian. No,
2: that's true. <laughs> um, um, it's a song about getting old, actually. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, I can see it coming when I won't be able to look after myself. It's, it's quite sad, really. Anyway, there you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, thanks. Happy Brian will be back after we listen to Happy this. Happy Brian. <laughs> here it is. I see it coming. Exclu- oh, here we go. Exclusively to the Life of Brian Mannix, that is, podcast. Here's Brian Mannix and Casey Donovan. It's
0: good to me. Life is like gravity. What goes up must come down family the friends that i used to see it blows my mind as it all Pages keep turning, the bridges, are burning. The bridges are burning. I can see the day. I will find my way. I know it's coming. You can take this from me. Nothing in life is free. It drives me mad It makes me sad. Coming
1: Oh, very nice, Mr Mannix. Very nice indeed. I like that.
2: Oh, thank you. Uh, I think Casey actually makes it. But um, yeah, she sort of—it's—it's it's a bit weird having such a great singer singing with you. Sort of highlights the inadequacies of in my voice. But anyway, we got away with it, so no, all good. A,
1: she has got one of those great voices, and uh, no, it's a really good song. It's a good song. Well done. Good on you. Thank you. Good on you. All right. <laughs> Okie dokey. <fair, laughs> yeah, and, and, and that, and that uh, leads me to the question: Is Brian, what are you trying to prove? Well, Kev,
2: this week <laughs> it's come to my awareness that oh, you know okay, there was oh, the, the wages that the football players are getting mm-hmm. now. I did a bit of research, and the average brain surgeon in Australia gets paid two hundred ninety-six thousand six hundred and sixty-six dollars. Oh, That's wow. it, just under three hundred thousand for the average brain surgeon in Australia. Right. Now, Buddy Franklin is on almost five times that this year. Yet, it's not, not played a game. He did do the wink in the uh, uh, the promo ad. He winked at the camera, so that was probably worth one point five million. Yep. Um, I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that we've got players getting three times or four times the amount that a brain surgeon gets. And I'll tell you what. If the brain surgeon had the accuracy that most of our football full forwards do, there would be morgues, would be overflowing, there'd be lobotomised people everywhere. You know, paying some meathead a million dollars to kick a little leather ball and he can't even kick it 30 metres straight
1: is just ridiculous. AFL and football clubs... What are you trying to prove? Beautifully done. Uh, Brian Mannix, uh, what are they trying to prove? This is the Life of Brian uh, podcast. Uh, thanks to Murcotts. Give Murcotts uh, Driving Excellence a buzz at 1300 555 It's murkots.edu.au. Our special guest uh, on the podcast this week is uh, Frankie J Holden. And, uh, yeah, you had, to, you had to. You had to mention the elephant in the room, Brian. Good on you. Well, what elephant was that? Did
4: you ever
1: make a solo record, Frank? Oh. <laughs> oh. Yes, yes, yes. I'm glad you brought that up, Brian. <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs> when I left the band I left the band I couldn't be coaxed back everybody wanted me to come back um, but I, and I had one uh, we went back and did a live studio album so that is we went into a studio and recorded this album live and that was called Five's Live Jive and that was to end the record contract with Mushroom you know, we had a deal with him for um, two or three records I can't remember but anyway, so we did that and then uh, I did nothing for a while. I wanted to just chill for a while. I was living at Manly and, I, you know, I had a lovely place virtually on the beach there and I used to go surfing. And I had a girlfriend I was living with and so I didn't want to do anything for a while. I want to say about a while. I went to Bali, you know, so I did all those things back before Bali was, you know, it was very early on. So, so I just did that and then... Somebody said, you, you ought to do something. I can't remember. It might have been Glenn A. Baker. And he, um, you know, Glenn A. Baker, as you would know and your listeners will know, is a, uh, a rock brain of the universe and is an encyclopedic knowledge of pop and rock music and what works and what doesn't. And he came up. He's, I said, well, okay, we'll, we'll, do, we'll try and do something. And he came up with these uh, cassettes uh, of about 30 or 40 songs that were covers or were, if they weren't, hits, they were songs that he knew of, that he thought would suit me and suit my image as it was then. But of course, I knew better than Glenn A. Baker. <laughs> oh, and I I chose to record these, well, one song that I that I found, it was called Boomerang. They mm-hmm. had no chance of getting any airplay at all. And when I look back at them now, I'm wondering what I was thinking. My solo recording career uh, was a bit of a flop, I, although I did record... A thing, uh, one single I did was uh, My Right of Way.
1: That was your first single? Uh, I think it was.
4: Yep. Maybe it was. Yep. Oh, you know more than I do. Chris. Yeah,
1: and the B side of it was a thing called Chartered Accountant Blues.
4: That's right. <laughs> I so, take it you wrote that one, Frank. That <laughs> <laughs> was my right of way. That was written by Jim Manzi and Joanna Baker. And that was the theme song to a film called The F.J. Holden.
1: That's right. And oh, the-
4: I saw that film. You were in yeah. Yeah, so that was the first time I ever appeared on the screen uh, as an actor. But in fact, I wasn't acting; I was, I, I was a cameo as Frankie J Holden from All Fifty Five. You were at a barbecue or something, weren't you? I was at a barbecue. That's right. And I just that's turned right. up there, and they were, everybody was thrilled because Frankie J Holden had turned up. And then I sang that that hit song. And yeah, and then I wrote uh, "Chartered Accountant's Blues," which was uh, this guy has a blues. Uh, because he was white and he felt he felt he had no right to sing the blues oh, I mean that was the gist of it but um, I never took my recording career solo recording career seriously, and in hindsight maybe I should have i don 't know I, I sort of had an opportunity there but I, I as i said i I was just a bit jack of it for you know for a, a lot of reasons um, and if, I'd, if i had my time over I might have Listened carefully, more carefully to Glenn's advice about what songs to choose, and then go and, and go and have a and have a go at it. But uh, but I didn't. So there you go. Absolutely. So, sort of did nothing there for a couple of years. Then I got into a musical uh, called Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Oh, uh, cool! And that was in '79, and that toured nationally. Who did and, you play in that? Oh well, I was I was the band leader on stage. There was a you know little country band on stage. Yeah, and I was the narrator and the band leader on stage. It's and, a good show. Uh, it was a very good show. In fact, I just watched. Somebody found me on Facebook and sent me a couple of clips from the Don Lane show when the cast went on and did stuff on the Don Lane show. Oh wow! And uh, uh, it was really, really very good. So that was great because that satisfied my musical, you know, part of me because uh, I was playing and singing music. Every night. It also satisfied the performance side of me because I had to stop and, and learn lines and, and do them the same way and react to everything around me and all the whole time. And it also taught me discipline. You know, the theatre, as you know, two Mano, Yeah. The theatre is great for that because uh, yeah. you've got to turn up every day and do it. Uh, and you can't drink half a bottle of bourbon uh, before you go on. No, now, I suppose you could try. You've got to
3: hide it if you do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's
4: not in So I did that for nine months and I really enjoyed it. As I said, it taught me discipline and I, I learned a lot. And it was the first sort of thing like that I'd done, uh, professionally anyway, and I found I could handle it. Again, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to get great reviews. And then that show, as I said, we toured nationally and I had met a girl in the show uh, and she lived in Melbourne. So that's why I went to Melbourne, and that was 1981, and then I stayed in Melbourne for all those years until 2004 when I moved up to the coast where I am now uh, on the Sapphire Coast. So that's how I ended up in Melbourne. That's how I ended up at the Roxy. That's how I ended up doing in Melbourne Tonight and doing all the other stuff that I've done over the years. How long did The Tonight Show go for, Frank? Uh, three years. Three years that went for, which is a good effort when you look really at good. the uh, – yeah. But a lot of people have tried it, and and uh, uh, not many last three years. And it was – actually, it was a difficult three years, Mano, because uh, – and Kevin – the story of that was I had been working at Channel 9 as a producer. I'd been working on uh, the Daryl Summer Show, which was – a. I started on the Daryl Summer Show, which was a Tuesday night variety show. Yep. Yeah before Hey Hey went to night time. Well, I remember that. Daryl wanted to take Hey Hey to night time, and Channel 9 said, well, you're a morning show person, so let's see how you go at night time. So he did the Daryl Summer Show Tuesday nights live. It was at the same time as the Don Lane Show was on, and I was associate producer on that, and my prime responsibility was booking and organising acts to go on the show, so, uh, and that was great. So you were on the show every week? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Every every second week. Hey,
3: <laughs>
4: no, I, I never appeared. Or I might have done some little extra bits and pieces, but it it got Wilbur exposed to Channel Nine, and I was able to give a lot of people a leg up. Um, people like uh, well, Nikki Nichols, oh yeah, uh, Lisa Edwards, Lisa Bade Vince Jones, and uh, there'd be more if I put my brain to it. Lots of people who. I was I gave a chance to and gave exposure to on on national telly. I know a lot of them were Melbourne-based people, obviously, but we had a, we had a lot of overseas people come on too, Cocker and uh, Jose Feliciano and all people like that. So it was it was great fun, and I could um, you know come up with ways to present these uh, musical numbers, which could be you know Jose Feliciano beautifully lit sitting on a stool, or it could be you know with the Tony Bartuccio dancers. So I was working there at Channel 9, and then when that finished I, I did I produced a couple of carols by candlelights, did things like that. And I always used to gag because nobody ever likes the host. The hosts are always arseholes, particularly from the cruise point of view. And I used to joke and say, listen, when I got my own show, I'll remain the good luck that I am. So it was very funny uh when, you know, a few years after that, I did get offered of, uh the gig hosting in Melbourne tonight because I was able to go back to the cruise and say, Well you know what I said years ago about if I ever came back to host the show, I wouldn't be an arsehole? Well, forget that. <laughs> so that ran from 96 to 99. Before that, I'd been doing The Great Outdoors and I'd done Police Rescue and I'd done other acting things. That time was a, also, so it was a time of great excitement and fun and a, a, a great uh, opportunity for me. But at the same time, I had great sadness because my wife, the girl that I'd moved to the be Bee With uh, Milda was diagnosed with cancer,
3: yep.
4: and then uh, and died. And I had to go through the whole. It was nine months from her diagnosis, so I had six months where I did the show, and and then at the start of the second, uh, about nine months, and then at the start of the second year, we got the diagnosis about Milda being ill. So I had to go through all of that uh, and keep up this facade on air. Oh, Jesus. and uh and then Melder died at the end of the second year and then um i came back and then did the third year but it was you know it was just a difficult time and i knew i didn't um i never felt i never felt like i gave that my greatest shot because well i virtually couldn't yeah uh, but anyway no regrets uh, it is what it is And uh, I did great support from friends and family through that time and from the audience as well. I'm saying what was going on. Kev, in
3: 2006,
4: we did the Countdown Spectacular. Yes. And Frank and Wilbur, they were the eighth act on. And they'd go out and they'd sing "Old 50 uh, things on the prowl and then they'd do uh, Looking for an Echo. And then straight after them, I would come on. Right. And every night, I would be standing in the wings and Frank would walk off the side of the stage and say, God follow that, you prick. <laughs> it was very funny. But that was just all in the good-natured, you know, sense of camaraderie, mate. Yeah, it was very funny. I used to laugh every night. God follow that, you prick. <laughs> and that wasn't exactly what I used to say. But anyway, no, no, I, I tidied it up a little bit for a podcast. <laughs> hey, wasn't that a great, uh, wasn't that a great time? Oh, that was really fun. That was so much fun. Although yeah. I remember that that trip, that tour, I remember we all lost our voices. We all only had to sing like two songs, or maybe a couple of people had to sing three or four songs. Yeah, most people just had to do the two songs. But we all lost our voices after about the third or fourth night, and the reason we were <laughs> all laughing so much <laughs> and having such a good time backstage and all talking to the tops of our voices. It's a bit like the Rock. you want to you No, know, no. Yeah, it was a lot like the Roxy. It was really funny. I remember you and um, Mark Gable in the middle of the band room and you were pretending to have sex and it wasn't, he wanted somebody to come in. And so we all had to stand around going, Oi, 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 till somebody came in. And then you and Mark Gable standing there with your pants around your ankles. It was very funny. <laughs> so I wanted people to come in and think it was a fight. And then, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly worked.
0: <laughs> I'm still laughing my
4: head off about it. Uh funny stuff. Well, Gable's a wild man. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know what he would have been like when he was on the drink. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> J- JPY, you know. Yeah. Another character in inverted commas. You know, Willie. Uh, Leo uh, uh, Oh, and um, Scotty. Scotty Khan. We formed our own little... Truth didn't we? Yeah, the naughty boys. You were the naughty boys. That's (laughs) the the naughty. (laughs) It was you, me, Alex Smith, uh, Mark (laughs) Gable, you got (laughs) him. Alex Smith. (laughs) John English tried to join the naughty boys, but he wasn't naughty enough. I mean, mean. not naughty enough. Um, (laughs) and then your new missus lobbed about the fourth day in and then you sort of uh, disappeared from the naughty boys for a while. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happened. Yeah, that's what happened there. And I came, Michelle finished her visit, and I was back with the naughty boys in the naughty
1: corner. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Frank, Frank, I want to ask you, When did uh, was, was acting something you really wanted to do, or was it something you fell into, and is it something that you now have a passion for?
4: Uh, yes, to all of those questions. At high school and through uni, I became known uh, for, for doing impressions, but I didn't really think that I would, you know, make it a career as I said I had a, I had a stellar career lined up in the Price Waterhouse I fell into Old 55 through that story I told about winning the TeleQuest. Quest and then through my uh, exposure and times with Old 55 because back then there were all sorts of shows apart from Countdown that you could go on you could go on the Don Lane show you could go on the Midday show you could go on Flashes you could go on Sounds Unlimited uh, there were all sorts of variety shows and music shows you could go on and and a couple of them would ask ask me if I want to be involved in a, like a comedy sketch uh, or two. So I I did a bit of that, and uh, an agent saw me doing that and got in touch with me and said, you know, have you thought about acting? Uh, How'd you to been in a couple of movies? And Of course I'm going, yeah, sure. Yeah. And so that, I fell into that, and then I uh, I had an apprenticeship in doing. I did a lot of early eighties uh, Australian movies. You know, just small roles. Uh, the Odd Angry Shot, uh, Proof of movie You mm-hmm. Mentioned, uh, uh, it all escaped my mind now, and, uh, I, and then I started doing all the Crawford shows, all the cop shows, you know, your Division 4s and Special Squad and all of that sort of stuff, and Cop Shop, and so I, I, and then I did, as I mentioned, uh, Best of Whorehouse in Texas, where I did really fall in love with the with the idea of doing it. I had a period around the late 80s into 1990 sort of thing where I was getting good work and getting good reviews and I did a TV show, a drama on the ABC called Embassy. Yep. and it, Which was very well reviewed and received and then I did a film called Return Home with Ben Mendelssohn in it. Is that Ray
5: Argold? Ray Argold make that
4: film? Yeah, Ray Argold. Yeah, he's uh, in the first clip. Right. Yeah. and it's then then Yeah, it was in Adelaide. That's right, yeah. And Ben Mendelson was, was, I think it was his second movie. He and I had worked together before that, though, doing some corporate films. So we knew each other. I I won a couple of awards for that um, movie. And then I'd had the exposure through uh, Embassy. Again, serious television, you know, great for your discipline. You've got to learn lines and, and turn up all day, every day. And so the acting career sort of took off from there, really. But I still kept dabbling in music, so it's been a long and varied
1: career. You're the epitome of the all-round entertainer, really, aren't you?
4: What is it? Jack of
1: all trades, master of none. Oh, I don't know about that, but (laughs) I I think you've you've mastered quite a few of them, to be perfectly honest. I'm not pissing in your pocket.
4: Oh, well, I've been lucky, but I've always had had that attitude, Kev, you know, just give something a crack if an opportunity jumps up, and then uh, same with Mano, Mano's at a He's done a lot of things. He's no good at a reminder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most things are no good at but They got oh, yeah, in common, it. mate. You know what it's like. You get your second gold album before you realize you can't sing, and then it's too late. That's <laughs> 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 right. Uh, right. So how many awards have you got, Frank? Like, you've got a few for acting, haven't you? I Probably about half a You've
5: got a Logie?
3: Oh, and, and
4: they – yeah, and I, I have <laughs> yeah, I got a silver logie, which is a good one. Yeah, uh, that's a peer voted one. Yep. In two thousand and nineteen, so that's not very long ago. Uh, you hear your little gag about you get your second gold album, and you before you realise you can't sing. I've got my logie. Uh, you know, just as I realise I can't act.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Most outstanding
1: supporting actor for your role in A Place uh, a place to Call Home, which is a, was a great series, a really good series, and, and a series that actually was axed and then uh, listeners uh, or sort of viewers um, uh, got it uh, kind of uh, rebooted again.
4: Yeah, it was a great story there. You're right. Uh, it was on Channel 7, did two seasons of Channel 7, and but it was very expensive to make. It was very oh,
3: successful,
4: yeah, rated high, but it was a million dollars an episode with beautiful, big production values. Big cast and seven, you know, decided that was too expensive, canned it, and then there was this huge national and international clamor from audiences wanting it. Uh, Foxtel heard that to their credit and picked it up and um, went for another four seasons. So there were six seasons, which is a great effort nowadays, yeah. seasons out of a TV drama. And there is, I have heard r- rumors, whispers about it coming back. So who knows what the future holds. But I'm very, you know, I've got enough on the plate. I've got a caravan park up at Tartra, uh, which is just half an hour from where I live. That's called Tartra Beachside, but I don't run it. Uh, we've got managers and all that sort of stuff and staff, but uh, uh, that's enough. I, I play with it. I can play with it. <laughs> you, you do a gig every Sunday, don't you? Yeah, just about, mate. Although we've stopped now yeah, uh, because we're worried about the social distancing because – you know, I get up on a Sunday night. We get up, we do pizzas and a light a fire in through the winter, and um, you know, just get some. I get some really good local musos. and yes, can Bobby Valentine has appeared there? Oh, uh, beauty! Wil- Wilbur Wild, of course. Uh, Mano, you're welcome anytime. I'll come up soon. People really enjoy it, and you can play anything you want. You know, like so people haven't paid to come and see an old fifty-five show, so we can play anything we want, and uh, I really, really enjoy it. It's very pure. Pure musical form, you know, it's all, we have a little PA, but it's virtually virtually acoustic, so you can't hide behind any loud noises, man. No, no, you can't uh, sort of get close to the note, and that'll do. You'll have to actually hit it. Yeah, and hold those situations, yeah. Well, I've been involved in the park. It's, it's a challenging time now, of course, um, yeah. with all of these restrictions. This will ease, and we'll be out the other side. In fact, I've written and recorded a song called out the other side. Okay. Ah, it's a little uh, song I wrote. It's a bit Slim Dusty meets Johnny Cash sort of thing, meets, meets Frankie Jay. Beautiful. It's now, listen, I've got to go because I've got to go and do something.
1: No, we, right. we understand that. We thank you so much for your time, mate. It's uh, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Take, uh, take care. Look after the family.
4: Good on you, Kev. Good on you, man. Good to see with you, mate. And listen, that offer is open. Bring the family up here to Tartra. Yep And beautiful part of the world uh, Great beaches Great fishing Great cafes And great walks And all that sort of stuff And also You'll you get the opportunity To uh, do a little gig We'll do a little gig together That would be great But Frank I'd look forward to that And, the, nice. and the audience Can't leave mate
3: <laughs> Oh <even> better <laughs> <laughs> Well There's times
4: like this When the world can be A hard and lonely place And it can seem like we'll never turn the tide But times will change and then we'll see a smile back on your face And before you know it, we'll be out the other side Out the other
0: side, I'll see you out the other side Just remember all bad things must pass Out the other side,
4: we'll see you out the other side
1: and we'll kick this COVID 19 in the ass. Frankie J. Holden, uh, there it is, another another musical exclusive on the program. Well, we'll uh, it anyway. Um, he's, <laughs> he's a good fella, Frank. And Dan, thanks for sending the song, Frank. Appreciate it. It was good to play that. Now, yeah. Now. Also, yeah, now I want to take you. Well, You mentioned before, was it raving dickheads, bloody dickheads? Bloody uh, dickheads, yes. <laughs> all right, the very the start of your career. So what I want to play you now is, yep. and this is a new segment we're introducing, uh, we're going to give uh, bands and acts and singer-songwriters and well, whatever you are, a musical act, uh, the chance to have uh, your song or part of, of your song aired on this podcast. It's sort of a, a little bit little like Brian and of the Juniors. Sort yeah, of. well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> except the Juniors are all be taller than you, Brian. It's well. A- I look up to them. That's what I do. Exactly. I look up to them. So uh, if you've got uh, a demo tape, if you've got a, a tape of your band performing somewhere, or your, your act performing somewhere, uh, even a sex tape, send that in. That's yes. fine. S- yes. Send, <laughs> send it to us uh, via our Facebook page, uh, the uh, Life <laughs> can, of Brian can, Manning Studies Facebook page. If we get any of those tapes, can you imagine? Can you imagine seriously? next week we're,
2: we get a sex tape? So rather than playing the music, you're just hearing someone going,
1: oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) With little light applause in the (laughs) background. Oh, no, it's going to be wonderful for the podcast. Send in your your song, your poetry or your sex tape and we'll give it an airing.
2: Fantastic.
1: (laughs) All right, so uh, to get us underway, have a listen to this. It's It's a band called Green Manalishi. I think I've got that right, but have a listen. Where's the band? There, I think. No, I think I've got the pronunciation right. It's Green Manalishi. Uh, I'll check that that's because it. because Simon uh, Simon Hill, who's the drummer in that band, is on the line now. Brian, good day, Simon.
6: How are you guys? Hey, Simon,
1: that's rocking as
4: hell. <laughs> great version of God. Great version of God saves
6: the Queen. That's terrific, mate. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those tunes that we really enjoyed playing along with uh, many, many others uh, from some great metal bands in the past and punk bands, of course, including the Sex Pistols. So uh, we have a lot of fun doing it, and it's a great release from football, obviously.
1: Now, the people who are putting two and two together now are working out that this is the Simon Hill who is the the voice of uh, of, of soccer in this country. <laughs> well, one of.
6: But uh, yeah, thank you. Um, it's, it's one of my great passions, uh, along with football, obviously, which is my first love. But uh, music has been a very close second. And, uh, you know, even going back to my teenage years, I, I wanted to be a musician. It was it was a toss-up, really, between sports and music. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't good enough to play either professional football or play drums in a professional band. But yeah. Um, I managed to become a commentator and uh, I still, you know, thump along the skins to uh, the various groups in pubs around New South Wales. So that's probably about as far as I'll get, unfortunately, with that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, when the COVID-19 is not happening, you do gigs with the on it? Yeah, um, we're, we're actually back playing at the moment. So obviously, things in New South Wales are a little bit easier than they are in Victoria. Um, So we played in a Battle of the Bands competition uh, two weeks ago, uh, along with a couple of other bands at a place called Kelly's on King in Newtown in Sydney's Inner West. Uh, Restricted numbers, obviously able to watch. uh, Only 30 people all had to be seated, which is interesting for a heavy rock band. Oh, wow. Um, uh, (laughs) wow. It was great fun. And we won, which is the best thing about it. So we're through to the final on the 25th of August. Wow. Did you get a prize or just a pat on the back? Uh, just a pat on the back for now. Uh, I think there is a prize for the winners of the final. I don't quite know what that is. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be a recording contract, which will be my <laughs> dream. Uh, maybe it'll be a couple of beers at the bar. That'll have to do. Oh, that's not too bad. Hey, Simon, two yeah.
1: questions. One, why the drums? And B, tell us about the name of the band, because I think it's a it's a throwback to an old, uh, an old Pete Green song, isn't it?
6: Uh, it is. I'll deal with that one first. So uh, Green Manalishi uh, with the 2 prong crown is, um, is actually a song that was initially recorded by Fleetwood Mac back in the day. Uh, and then it was souped up and uh, metalized, if that's the word, by Judas Priest many, many years ago, which uh, is one of our big influences. So uh, that, that's where we take the name from. Um, how I got into the drums basically it's a bit of a long story but when I was nine or ten years of age I wasn't really much into music as a kid my mom was a piano teacher uh, and she was much more into classical music and she was trying to get me to play the piano and, and learn that particular instrument I was never much interested and I was round at a school friend's house a guy called Russell and he had a, one of the old-style record players, and he said, uh, have a listen to this, let me know what you think. And he put on Deep Purple's Burn. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, dude. yeah. Um, and, and I remember just being mesmerized by it, thinking, wow, this is incredible. And in particular, the drumming of Ian Pace. So I went home. I got a couple of uh, waste paper baskets and a couple of my mom's knitting needles. That was the start of it, basically. From then on in, i I'd I desperately wanted to be a drummer. I, I pestered the life out of my parents to buy me a kit, which ultimately they relented and did, and I've been playing ever since in various bands, both in the UK and now here. Wow. So, you're an international band. You're an international musician. <laughs> well, Wow. Yeah. I mean, I emigrated, obviously, here in 2003 for, for football reasons, but... Uh, yeah, I, I played in bands um, when I was a teenager. I was, I was in a band with a lot of schoolmates. And strangely enough, I still play with them. When I go home to the UK every year, which I do, uh, obviously not this year because of COVID, but uh, we, we go into the studio and, and record uh, a few tracks. Last year, we did three tracks by Hawkwind. Uh, oh, yeah. floors. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um,
6: and and that, that'll that be coming out, hopefully, on Spotify very soon. They've been mixing it for months and months. I don't know what they're doing with it. Uh, so I, I still play with those guys that I've known for 30, 40 years. Um, and then, obviously, when I came to Australia, to be honest, I didn't bring the drums when I came to Australia. I thought, no, nah, that's a bit of an extravagance.
1: Well, now, I'm just having a look down the list here. Ringo Star, Dave Grohl, Phil Collins, Don Henley, and then Simon Hill, the fifth wealthiest drummer in the world. <laughs> Is that right?
6: Yeah, I would, mate. I would. No. How come not even, you don't sing?
1: How come you don't sing? Why, why Why? are you not a singing drummer?
6: Well, I'll let you into a little secret here. Um, actually, when I went back to the UK last year and we recorded those three uh, old Hawkwind tracks, I did actually sing. Um, so my vocals are on those three tracks, and when they come out, you'll be able to uh, hear them and, and judge
1: for yourselves. Hey, listen. Uh, g- good luck with the with the calling. With the, you've just joined Optus sports, so things are things are going well for you uh, on the back of uh, the you know how it ended at uh, at Fox Sports. But uh, yep. seem to have land on your feet, which is great news. And uh, well, you haven't landed on your feet. You land on your drum stool, um, and you're off <laughs> and running.
6: I hope so. Yeah, they've, they've been very kind to uh, to give me an opportunity and uh, do some radio work as well. Uh, in the A-League finals and a bit of racing. So I'm, I'm busy as at the moment. I'm enjoying it. It's different, but it's, uh, it's enjoyable.
1: Well, good luck on August 25 at Kelly's on Kings in the, uh, in the final of the Battle of the Bands. The life of Brian is behind you. <laughs>
6: Thanks, guys. Much appreciated.
1: All right, so there you go. Uh, we want to hear your tapes. We want to hear your tapes. We don't want to watch your tapes, Brian. <laughs> no, the sex tape. Is, look,
2: some people put a lot of time and effort into their oh, sex tapes, goodness. Ken, and if they want to get a little bit of exposure for their <laughs> sex tape, who are we to say no? Come on, it's this is a, comp- a competition open for everybody. Oh, <laughs> you know, poetry, music, sex, it's all good for me, I reckon. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Now, now, uh, remind we'll you probably give me. preference to the music, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, probably to just a l- slight preference to songs,
1: <laughs> but <laughs> don't let that discourage you from sending in your sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> As sanity will prevail here eventually. Now, uh, so please go to our Facebook page and and, uh, and and drop us the link to your to your sex tape. Brian, <laughs> no, <fucking> shut up. <laughs> drop us the link to your demo, your your song, whatever, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll go through them and we'll uh, be playing one on the uh, on the podcast for the next few weeks, the next uh, five or six weeks, hopefully. So, uh, well done to Simon Hill and uh, to his band. Good luck to them in the in the final of the Battle of the Bands coming up next week. Uh, yes. I want to remind you about Murcotts one I mean, we're not. Uh, I haven't spent a lot of time behind the wheel of my car and I did jump in the other day and th- almost sort of had to reacquaint myself with how everything worked in the car because I hadn't been in it for about five or six days. Um, so there there are things that you just take for granted when you're driving, things that you might need a refresher course about. If you drive for a living, now might be the perfect time to actually have a reassess of uh, of where you're at as a driver. Uh, Mercots are the people that have been in the business for a long, long time. Uh, Brian Mannix is still with us today because of Murcotts, because they taught him back in 1985... Yeah, the celebrity Grand Prix had to drive properly and he hasn't wrapped himself around a pole since, which is well no. not in a car. Um one three hundred triple five five seven six. But if you have a tape of Brian wrapping himself around a pole, um, please send that into a stex Or a, a stex tape that's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Merchants.edu.au um, <laughs> is their website. One three hundred triple five five seven six is their telephone number. <laughs>
2: there's a, there's only one bit of driving, I reckon, Kev, that um, I don't enjoy and mm. i'm perhaps not very good at yep. and that's the um the steering part oh i, I, I try to avoid that as much right. as i can The yeah. steering okay. i don't <laughs> I don't enjoy that
1: it's more a hands-off experience for you is it brian <laughs> yeah just you know I'll look the pedals i love using the pedals
2: but that that big wheelie thing i don't like it it's it's a bit complicated for me
1: you never quite got out of the go-kart uh, area did you really no no uh, i'm still burning the car. Around, remember the billy, out card. You billy card
2: as a kid oh. Absolutely out oh, of Billy Cart. It was a beauty. Thing.
1: The best thing I reckon I did more damage to my knees in the Billy Cart than I ever did playing footy or cricket. Anyway. Yeah, and you just go down hills and across roads and yep. no fear of traffic it was insane. But a yep. um,
2: lot of fun the Billy Carts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But a reminder about Mercots, Mercots.edu.au one three hundred triple five five seven six. Thanks to Frankie J. Holden, thanks to Casey Donovan. Thanks to Simon Hill. And thanks to you, Brian Mannix. Thank you, Kevin. Um, look, could Mercots do a bit of
2: billy cart training if you were to have a, a, a junior kid with the billy cart? Oh, and thought, yeah, hang on, right. I just want him
1: get his racing lines right. You just have to comment oh, things, don't you? I do. I'm an idiot.
2: But <laughs> anyway... Don't forget
1: to subscribe. Don't miss an episode. And uh, and uh, please send those demos through to our Facebook page, The Life of Brian Mannix, that is. Until the next time, uh, Brian Mannix, take care, look after yourself and, uh, and be happy. Thank you, Kevin Hillier. Rock on.